0: Episode, Death of Twenty Twenty. (laughs) Hi, yeah, welcome to end of twenty twenty. Finally, my name's Clarita. I am a Seattle-based graphic designing person and this is a show about record covers, graphic design, music history, design history. It's the Design Freaks podcast. Did I already say that? So end of the year episode. I did this last year with uh, the end of 2019. Vox Mod and I kind of uh, paid homage to Vaughn Oliver who had just passed at the time and kind of talked about gearing up heading into a new decade, blah, 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 although I think technically we are now entering a new decade, Um, so I want to do the same thing this year, and I'm not going to go on and on about how bad 2020 was, we all know, and if you don't know, I'm jealous of you, but uh, yeah, I just uh, would like to celebrate uh, some Mm -hmm. things that I'm grateful I got to experience, and then also, you know, kind of mourn some losses there. Now, obviously, in addition to the artists we lost this year, uh, for various reasons, we also lost, in America alone, 300,000 people uh, from a virus, largely due to neglect. Um, so not great, really dark, lots of death, pretty much a black plague year, and um, thinking about the death is, I can't even wrap my head around it, but also uh, the way of life moving forward and all the venues and um, small businesses that have been closing, just thinking about that makes me want to throw up. If this is not already on your radar, uh, I would like to encourage you to do what you can to support uh, the cause, and one of them is saveourstages.com. There's some call to actions there uh, to donate Mm -hmm. and various other Uh, you know, sharing options. Then uh, for Washington State, we have keepmusicalivewa.com. Thank you. But first, I wanted to go over my thank yous list. It's a pretty big one, but I'll go through it quickly. Um, there were a lot of people who kind of kept me going this year and uh, I wanted to give them a little shout to my donors, Megan Kugel, uh, Doug Starsevich, Peter Ramberg, Zachary Jones, Brady and Agnes in Oregon. Y'all are awesome. Uh, Stephen Paul Davis for the mic donation. Thank you so much. Uh, and Liz McCarty for helping when I was in a bind. Really appreciate it. And also appreciate suggestions you know, words of praise, just to keep me going. And uh, I wanted to say a special thank you to Seattle's Gary Panther expert and post-punk encyclopedia, Eric Whitaker. Uh, he has given me lots of suggestions, uh, both before and after my recording. So I'll, I'll be posting more uh, photos of his from his personal collection and and some things that he kind of thought about after listening and. Um, might even do a follow-up episode for Gary Panther. The more I read about him, the more I learn. And, and uh, yeah, I think he deserves another one. That one was kind of the, the Pee Wee-related episode, but uh, there's a lot more uh, to his work. And uh, I want to thank Sonny Smith, Josh Manderville, uh, who reminded me of Charles Burns' comic Dog Boy when I was talking about him collaborating with Gary Panter, um, Liquid Television, all those things. Uh, that I d- also didn't bring up. That is a yeah another reason to do a follow up episode. Um, I wanted to say thank you to Sally Mares. She is a lithograph artist out of Edinburgh, Edinburgh, Scotland, and uh, she let me know that she enjoyed listening while she was working, and I super appreciate that. Really cool. Jody Scheibel and Max Sympathy of the Weekend Review podcast right. After here in Seattle that's W-E-A-K in review Jason from Just Add Water Records in San Francisco Rich Stevens Dylan Larson thank you all so much and if I forgot you and you reached out to me believe me it did make a difference and it, I appreciated it uh, I also want to thank as always John Dwyer for uh, the use of the song Jet in Jungle which is my theme song um, and that's by his band Damaged Bug and you can follow all of John's projects from the, uh, his label uh, Castle Face Records uh, from castlefacerecords.com I believe .org no. um, or the Bandcamp and speaking of music the other songs on this episode are uh, two songs by a local Seattle band called Ecstatic Cosmic Union or XCU And the link to their band camp is in the show notes and on my website. Big thank you to Ruinous Media and uh, everybody there, Joe, Patrick, Chris, uh, all the people I've never met because we haven't been in the same room together because of COVID. But, um, you know, here's to a better New Welcome to episode 26. The death episode for 2020. Man, this year we said goodbye to a ton of musical artists. I'm not going to go over the entire list. Some were hard-hitting. Uh, harder than others. Hal Wilner? I mean... Uh, we talked about it on the King Con episode. Check that out if you haven't heard it. Um, and go to the episode page on my website for that, Design to read the letter that Hal wrote. Erish's um, behalf, Erish Con, uh, aka King Con, is, I don't know if. Uh, if most people know this, but he is not a U.S. citizen. He was born in Canada, so Hal really wanted him to get the work visa to record an album here in the United States. I believe it was for the Mark Bolin tribute. Um, I could be wrong, but uh, it's just a gorgeous, glowing letter and uh, really shows Hal's loving side and, and just loyalty and depth of appreciation for someone as kind of wild as, as Arish Khan, who um, they have such different backgrounds, but uh, are also so similar in their s- spirits. So anyways, uh, that's a, a big loss from COVID. Hal Wilner, um, uh, Simeon Cox, Bill Reiflin, uh, Riley Gale, too many to mention right now. But of course, Of the deaths, I think Simeon Cox hit me the hardest because uh, I've been a big fan of Silver Apples. I mean, only since the 90s. I bought the album Contact in 1994 um, at 33 Degrees Records. And, you know, I've been thinking about him lately. Like, is Simeon okay? Are people checking on him? I hope he doesn't have COVID. Well, he died on uh, September 8th. He was 82 years old, and he had uh, battled with pulmonary fibrosis. I want to talk uh, a little bit about my connection to the band a a tiny bit. When I got to see them, I talked to them twice. Uh, And then I wanted to jump into a couple different sources here. I sourced an interview from soundonsound.com. It was just an awesome interview with Simeon. And um, a couple other uh, resources I found about the beginning of Silver Apples. If you're not familiar... uh, And if you are, I don't know, it's fun to listen to anyway. Uh, And then some uh, sort of stories about when they first started kind of taking off, uh, how they were perceived in New York, and then the demise of Silver Apples, the death of Silver Apples for the death episode. Um, It was the, you know, appropriately for a podcast about record covers, it was the, record cover for the album contact that ended the band so I'm going to tell that story and then after the death of Danny Taylor, the other half of silver apples and uh anyways another reason I want to talk about Simeon um, not just because I'm an obsessed dork with a oscillation statue <laughs> but uh he uh was a graphic designer as well and um There's so many overlapping similarities with musicians, especially electronic musicians, with artists, graphic designers. It's just really interesting to see how how much that overlaps. Okay, so I'll just get into it. So uh, I got to meet Simeon twice uh, the first time. Yeah, it's because of my tattoo. Some guy was like, hey, this lady has your tattoo. It was after the show at Austin Psych Fest. I believe it was 2010. And, um, it was amazing. Um, of course I went, uh, Austin's my hometown, but I also had missed, uh, the earlier tours, uh, from the mid aughts like 2005 when, uh, Samian first went out on his own. I, I didn't catch those shows. So I was determined. Uh, yeah, I went and saw them and it was an outdoor festival, but they had him in a tent and I wasn't, you know, we weren't so sure about the sound, but, it, it sounded amazing. I mean, Austin is such an outdoor culture. They really have outdoor sound dialed in, and I've—I mean, that festival at least, just—I really enjoyed uh, Austin Psych Fest. I think they did an awesome job. It was lively. The sound was great. The energy when he played Oscillations, just everyone became like this sort of pulsating mass that was just all one afterward he was like kind of signing stuff and standing around and like talking to people and he had a shirt on i'll post a pic well there is a pic on my instagram of his t-shirt um it was uh those marshmallow easter peeps but they all were dressed like with sunglasses and little i think they all had little gold chains and it said his shirt said respect my peeps in old english (laughs) lettering uh it was pretty funny, wacky dude. He's wearing a weird hat. Just a cool guy. He seemed so happy. Um, he was getting up there in years then, but you know, he seemed uh, energized by the crowd. Anyways, then I saw him years later at a uh, another festival here in Seattle. It's more of a of a supper club. It was sort of a maybe a quieter venue. His sound was pretty quiet. It wasn't the same energy. Um, and I talked to him a little bit, uh, he was, he seemed really tired. It was the end of a tour. Um, of course he sounded incredible then too, but it's a little bit different, uh, energy and I'm lucky I got to talk to him both times. And even though he seemed weary when I went up to him at that Seattle show, he still talked to me for quite a while. Even if he was annoyed or like cringing Here comes that lady with that tattoo again, He still like talked to me about his house and they had just had a storm and there was some flooding and he was worried and um, I was just trying to be in the moment, you know, and and don't really remember everything that was said, but um, I just kind of listened and he kind of just slowly kept sort of uh, telling me what was on his mind. It was very, very cool. Less of a party atmosphere than the first time, but definitely he opened up a little bit more, even if he was in a bad mood and tired. A lot more could be said than I'm going to say in this episode, but I wanted to acknowledge him and uh, I'll never be able to do his life justice (laughs) anyway. uh, So I'm just going to mention, you know, a couple things about his life, how Silver Apples began, ended, and then um, put some resources on my website if you want to learn more Um, So again, from the interview uh, from soundonsound.com, and uh, the secondary headline is Silver Apples Jammed with Jimi Hendrix, Counted John Lennon as a Fan, and Produced Extraordinary Electronic Music with Nothing But a Drum Kit and a Pile of Electrical Junk. And when I hear the term yard sale, you know, when an electronic musician is setting up their gear, I always think of Simeon or You know, Morton Subotnick, but Simeon mostly because of the kind of junky quality. Um, So Silver Apples music was unprecedented in 1967 with Simeon sailing heavily treated oscillator sounds over drummer Danny Taylor's unrelenting beats. Yet the roots of this highly original sound were ironically to be found in a mundane New York bar band, featuring Simeon on vocals and Taylor on drums, called the Overland Stage Electric Band. Very much a club band supporting the lead act, Simeon remembers. So another quote from Simeon, he says, "Um, the audiences would not really be interested in hearing any original music. It was all covers of the various danceable songs of the day. Uh, We played every single night, sometimes two or three sets a night. It was just like going to work. Pretty cool to have that job, you know, in New York as a working musician. Though, even if you are just playing dance tunes, you're you're doing it your way, at least. Oh, um, and then it says uh, goes on about how it all was changed when um, there was a he had a friend that was a classical musician. Okay, so this friend of Simeon would drink vodka and play the oscillator along with Beethoven, and he says that one time when he was um, that friend was completely passed out drunk. Simeon put on a record. He said, I forgot what it was, whatever rock and roll record he happened to have around. And I started playing along with it. And I said, oh my god, this works. I like this. I borrowed it from him. And eventually, he sold it to me for $10. So that was his first experimentation with the oscillator. And then after that, he started to gather a collection of oscillators. Um, He would pile them up on a table. And he said it took him two hours to set it up, and uh, uh, then he got to thinking about how he could put the plywood pieces of plywood together to get them all wired underneath ahead of time, so he didn't have to make those connections on the spot. The Simeon was remarkable. It involved thirteen oscillators fed through various echoplexes and wah wah pedals. More impressive still was the way in which Simeon managed to control this stage, uh, and it says how he was able to control the the invention, and so. At the same time, he says I'm moving the dials with my right hand on the li- on the lead oscillator. I'm working my elbow up and down. <laughs> a bank of telegraph keys, so my forearm is keying in two, th- two or three of the other oscillators that have been pre-tuned to different notes. So that way I'm creating a little rhythm section. At The same time, I have some on-off switches underneath, and so I'm playing a sort of repeating rolling bass line with my feet. On top of that, I had to sing. In the meantime, Danny's wheeling away on the drums, that was basically our act. It was almost like a one-man band with a drummer. Sounds like it. So at one key point in the early Silver Apple set, meanwhile, Simeon would ask the audience to shout out their favorite radio station's dial frequencies, which he would then tune into live over the song program. Sometimes you'd hear a cheer go up when I finally hit one of the ones they really liked. He said, randomly throwing the dial back and forth and hitting the different stations was part of the concept of that song. Um, Interactive. (laughs) The Contact record cover. This ended up leading to the demise of Silver Apples. So um, in a strange twist, it was the artwork for Contact that was to prove Silver Apples undoing. While the front cover featured the duo in the cockpit of a commercial jet bearing the Pan Am logo, the back cover shot found them superimposed over a sourced photograph of a plane crash. Pan Am were not impressed. Uh, And then Simeon says, well, it was just a prank that kind of went astray. Uh, And he says, if I think about it now, it's really kind of dumb. We didn't mean it. We didn't mean any harm by it. But a lot of people were really pissed off about that. Pan Am wanted their logo on the airplane up front because they thought it would be free publicity for the airline. Okay, so they were aware of the front cover before it was released, Um, but (laughs) on the back, it was a picture of a European airplane crash, and Pan Am, of course, felt like we were saying that their airplane had crashed. The whole thing was just misunderstood and misread by everybody. I didn't even think that, to be honest. Um, This was the first cover I saw even before the Oscillations cover, and... um, And I didn't even think of it. I thought of it as a generic plane and a generic idea. I didn't even notice that logo for years. Or I did and didn't think anything of it. It's super weird that it caused all this trouble, but um, he goes on to say they did get in trouble. Um, He says they sued us big time. They sued Cap Records. They sued us as a band. They sued us personally. They sued our management. They got some judge in New York to issue a cease and desist on us performing all the records had to be taken off the shelves in all of the record stores. Can you imagine? Um, and then he says they put some sort of lean on our equipment. They actually came to a club where we were playing and confiscated Danny's drums. Fortunately, my stuff wasn't there. Thank goodness for that. Because <sighs> all that stuff was pretty DIY. Hard to replace. Um... So that photograph led to the lawsuit that broke the band up. No record label would touch us from that point on. That was the end of Silver Apples. Now this kind of reminds me of the Sub Pop story with, um, speaking of Christmas, The Eight-Way Santa by Tad. I'll have to maybe tell that story and do a uh, possibly album covers that got the band in trouble episode Um, So we go on to learn that the third album, The Garden, recorded on spec and shelved in the wake of the Pan Am debacle, though would eventually be released in 1998. Silver Apples petered out in 1970. Taylor took a job uh, at a telephone company while Simeon returned to his first love as a visual artist, funding himself by working as a graphic designer for an advertising agency. Um, Kindred Spirit... Then in 1994, a German record label TRC released a bootleg CD featuring the first two Silver Apples albums, uh, reigniting interest in the duo. The next thing you know, old Jed's a millionaire. Now it says all the record stores are carrying the CD. We didn't have anything to do with it, he said. (laughs) Wow. What a weird uh, comeback story. Um, So then... In 97, so now they're becoming, like, kind of this underground sort of discovery uh, revival thing and uh, very hip. And uh, so in 1997, with the other musicians in tow, Simeon revived Silver Apples at a show at New York's Knitting Factory. As a major sign of the Apple's newfound cool, (laughs) I did not write this. Uh, So anyways, Johnny Depp was there, Kate Moss, Beastie Boys, Sean Lennon, I don't know. Sounds like it might have been fun. Uh, I was fresh off of not playing music for 20 years and didn't really have the confidence to just go out there and be me and a drummer again, Simeon admits. I felt like I needed backup at the time. So he had um, some more musicians, he added. And then uh, missing from the lineup was Danny Taylor, who Simeon had been unable to locate Side note, City. if anyone out there listening or if you know anyone who was at that Knitting Factory show or saw any of the shows with a live drummer that wasn't, Danny Taylor, will you please um, write in to me? I want to know what that was like. Um, I'm sure I could find footage of it, but I'd like to hear firsthand. Um, At every single radio station where I do an interview, I would say if anybody knows where Danny is, Please have them contact the station, he recalls. I did an active search for him all over the country, and it finally worked. He heard his music being played on a station in New Jersey, and that was it. Only three gigs after the original duo of Simeon and Taylor reunited. However, the pair suffered a road crash when returning from a gig in New York, which resulted in their fan being rolled over and the former breaking his neck. Wow. So Taylor broke his neck. I thought Taylor had died from the car crash, Um, but he didn't. He died from cancer. But it says here, I'm still not fully recovered, Simeon states. I have some uh, numbness in my extremities. That's a result of the paralysis. If I put my hand in my pocket, I can't tell if I've got keys, coins, paper, but it hasn't affected my playing. Weird and lucky in that I've always been a visual performer anyway. I've always used push buttons and color-coded keys and dials and numbers on oscillators. As a matter of fact, in some ways, because I had to relearn how to do everything, it's made me better because I worked harder at it. I think I'm actually a more permi- a more proficient craftsman now at my trade than I was back then. Wow. Um, it says, tragedy further thwarted silver apples when Danny Taylor died from cancer in 2005. Um, Simeon says, I just figured I could keep going. Uh, I didn't know how I would do it, so I just sampled the rhythms that Danny had already created and went out as a solo act. I have hours of two-track tape of him practicing his drums, all the patterns for each of the different songs, plus new stuff. So I'm able to just plug him in pretty much. It's not like I'm recreating him in any way electronically. It's still Danny playing. So (laughs) that's what I heard when I saw uh, that Austin tour. Um... I was hearing Danny, which is cool. I didn't know that at the time. And um, those were his drums. The album he released in 2016 of new material, Clinging to a Dream. I actually really enjoy that record. And it, it makes me think of when Simeon said, I have Danny recorded. I don't have to recreate him electronically. And he held true to that with this new record. He didn't just try to recreate Danny's style or sound. he was able to, as an artist, reimagine silver apples, where it remained silver apples, but like I said, reimagined by the same imagination, the same person um, still true to the original vision I think uh I think it's incredibly successful and the proof of that is when he played those new songs live and I'd never heard them before I was not bummed out at all I was just as excited because it sounds like him and that's the difference between wanting to see someone live to hear songs versus wanting to see them perform to hear music You know, the, the article, again. I'll post it, but it there's a lot more to it. You should read it. It talks a lot about, after that, how he um, had made a homemade sound source, a uh, triggering device uh, made from PVC pipe and a door hinge from a hardware store and some on-off switches from Radio Shack. I mean, it's just wild stuff. I just wanted to uh, talk about him. And, um, again, I could say a lot more. You know, it's all out there. Go listen to the records. It's all in the music. You'll hear him. Yeah, if you haven't subscribed to Design Freaks, please do it. Please share the podcast with other vinyl folks that might enjoy it. Everything helps. Go to my website for photos, links, videos, and all that accompany my episodes. You can get to all other social platforms from there, too. Visit ruinousmedia.com for other podcasts. Uh, Lots of cool stuff, Pacific Northwest music related, and you can buy merch. There are some designed by me. Um, Okay, stay safe, everyone. Uh, No super spreaders on New Year's Eve. (laughs) Be good. And uh, goodbye, 2020. And Happy Uh, New Year, everyone. (laughs) Bye.